The ascension of our Lord Jesus is um, f- celebrated in the church 40 days after Easter. Now let that sink in for a second. It's been 40, now 43 days since Easter. We have been quarantined for a very long time. 40 days after Jesus is raised from the dead, he ascends to be with the Father. 10 days after the ascension, Jesus sends the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. That is what we'll celebrate next Sunday. We've got quite the lineup for the next three Sundays. Ascension, Pentecost, and then, oh yes, Trinity Sunday, as if we weren't heady enough in those three days. Well, why, do, why does the church spend so much time focused on the ascension? After all, the ascension seems to be one of those uh, points uh, within uh, our modern culture or postmodern culture even, that we are most concerned about. Because we see that there is this, um, the modern people look up and they, they say, well, where is heaven? We've been to the moon. We've, we've sent uh, satellites out into outer space and we can't find heaven. And they begin to uh, ridicule the idea that somehow heaven is up there. And, and in, the, in the process of doing that, completely miss the importance of the ascension. And perhaps that's why we as the church have sort of said, well, the, the ascension is sort of our, um, our child that we, we, aren't, you know, we keep close to us and we don't bring him out, you know, sort of like um, King David's dad did with him. He was just the, the ruddy youngest that was sent out to take care of the sheep. But the scriptures make a lot of the ascension of Jesus. Now, I don't know quite what to make with this, but I have to mention it to you. It's interesting because, you know, Luke writes the, God, the, the book of Acts as well as the gospel of Luke. And Luke considers uh, Luke, the gospel, to be volume one and Acts of the Apostles to be volume two. And yet, Luke treats the, the ascension of Jesus in two very different ways. And again, I don't know what to make of this, but I want to point it out to you. At the end of Luke's gospel, Jesus ascends from the disciples, and we are told that the disciples worship Jesus. But then the reading that Kim just did for us from Acts chapter 1, you'll notice that they get the uh, acclamation from the angels who tell them, why are you standing looking up in the sky? That same Jesus will come back to you. But we don't hear them respond with worship. I don't know what to make of it. I think we have to read all scripture and hold it together in unity. And since it's the same Luke writing, we know that there's not two different ideas going on here. But that the more we know about Jesus, the more we know about God, in fact, the better we can worship him. That's my takeaway. The more we learn about Jesus or about God, the Trinity, the more and better we can worship him. That's why we spend time with the Ascension. That's why we spend time with the day of Pentecost and with even Trinity Sunday when we try not to say something heretical about the fatherhead, the, 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 the headship of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But that's for another week. The New Testament, as I said, makes much of the Ascension of Jesus. As a matter of fact, it finds at least three lines in the creed that are reflecting Scripture. The, you know, the creeds always reflect Scripture. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come again to judge the living and the dead. You see, Jesus will come to judge the living and the dead from the right hand of the Father, from his place of ascension. And so I consider all three of those lines in the creed to be directly related to the ascension of Jesus. And if the creed cares about it, I care about it. 
because it reflects scripture and we want to find out what exactly the Lord wants to teach us about himself today. Well, let's, let's think about this for a moment. Where is heaven? I don't know. I don't think the scriptures are preoccupied with locating where heaven is. What the scriptures are clear about is that heaven is where the Father is. And that is where Jesus goes to be. If you want to geographically locate Jesus in the ascension, he's with the Father. That's what we need to know. We also know that it's not very far off. And the reason I have two Bibles is because I want to share several scriptures with you that reflect on the ascension. And maybe you've glossed those. Maybe you didn't notice that they're addressing the ascension. But the first one comes from Acts chapter 7, one of my favorite passages, the story of Stephen, the first martyr of the church. Not because Stephen gets martyred, but because it is such an amazing witness because Stephen is so like Jesus in the way he responds to those who are persecuting him. I want Stephen to be my model for how I serve Jesus in this world. This is what it says. I don't know if you ever caught the ascension reference. Chapter 7, verse 55 and following. But he, that is Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. You want to know where heaven is? It's wherever the Father is. And it's where the Son is standing at the Father's side. And he said, behold, I see heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But, he, but they cried out, those that are stoning and persecuting Stephen, with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed toward, together with him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. Remember, that's the apostle Paul. And they were stoning Stephen. He called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling into his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold their sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Death is always described for Christians in the scriptures as going to sleep. Because we don't have to fear death anymore the way people who don't know God have to fear death. Because we know that it's not the end. It's just the transition into the presence of the Father and the Son. That is what the ascension is all about. What we can deduce from that passage is that heaven is not very far away. And when Jesus ascends, he doesn't go very far away from us. As a matter of fact, he's very close to us. The other emphasis in the scriptures is on the fact that Jesus has accomplished so much through his ascension. His ascension is important to completing the cycle, Jesus having come to earth, the second person of the Trinity, taken on our humanity through his incarnation, and now returning to the Father. He has accomplished so much. And that's really where I want to pick up with you with the reading of John 17. John 17 has been referred to as the high priestly prayer of Jesus. Now, why, does it, why do we say that? Well, because Jesus is praying as a high priest would pray for the people of God. In the Old Testament, remember, there's a high priest that only one day a year is able to come into the Holy of Holies and makes intercessions. The work of a priest, part of that work is to intercede for the people. We'll talk more about this on Wednesday night. So Jesus is offering this high priestly prayer. But I want you to remind you that Jesus, in his ascension, at the right hand of the Father, 
is now interceding for us constantly. Don't believe me? Well, let's, let's read from that former persecutor, now uh, missionary apostle of the Lord Jesus. Paul writing in chapter, uh, in chapter 8 of Romans says, Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Are you overwhelmed with the state of the world? Be comforted to know that Jesus, your high priest, is interceding for you. He's praying for you. And what we see here in John 17 is a sample of how Jesus prays for his people. We are privileged to hear the way he prays for us. He prays for his own, not for the world. Now, that doesn't mean Jesus doesn't love the world. We know he does, John three sixteen. But in this place, he is praying for the world because he knows that they're the instrument by which he will be made known and he'll be glorified in the world. It's funny, the disciples there in, in, in Acts chapter 1, they're saying, Lord, are you going to complete the restoration of the kingdom now or later? And, and what does Jesus say? He says, not me, but you. But you wait in Jerusalem until you receive power on high, and you will be witnesses of me to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Jesus is saying, I am investing my power, my spirit, my glory in you. You will do these things in my name and I will be praying and interceding for you. Now you might be thinking, well, I think I'd rather have Jesus come and do it and I'll pray for him, but that's not the way he chooses to operate. And I'm grateful for that because I don't want to live a purposeless life just sitting around watching Jesus do all these things. It's sort of like watching professional sports where you're on the sideline and some poor guys or, or ladies are doing all the work. We are in the, involved. We're in the game. We're participating. And Jesus is our high priest interceding for us. But not just interceding. Take that high priestly image that, that we get from, uh, from the reading I just w- was talking to you about from Paul and Romans. And, and think about the writer of Hebrews and how the writer of Hebrews speaks to, to this same idea. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 and 16. Since then we have a great high priest, the writer of Hebrews says, who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to the confession. He passes through the heavens to get to the Father. He is our high priest, and he's gone there. Let us then draw near with confidence to the throne of grace that we might receive mercy and find help in time of need. The priest would take the sacrifice into the temple and make sacrifice for the people to atone for their sins. But in the marvelous mystery of God, the high priest is also himself the sacrifice. Jesus, the Lamb of God, slain for the sins of the world, but now raised to new life and now ascending to heaven takes the sacrifice himself into the presence of God in the heavenly temple to make atonement for us. You, you understand that the earthly temple that the children of Israel were instructed to make in, in, in Exodus and, and Deuteronomy and, and this 
spelled out in Leviticus. Uh, that, is, that is just a, 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 an imitation, a cheap imitation, if you will, of the heavenly temple of God. And it is there that Jesus, the high priest and sacrifice, made atonement for us through his ascension by his reuniting to the Father. I know this is heady stuff, but it's so important that we understand God, that we might know him better, that we might know him in truth, and that we might worship him more. Christ has accomplished so much through his death, resurrection, and ascension, which is why all three things are brought up in our Eucharistic celebration every week. Now, I don't know about you, but, but when I rest is when I'm done with my work. I had the privilege of putting up five ceiling fans yesterday for my beautiful daughter, Charlie, down in Oviedo, Florida. And, uh, and that was a privilege because I got to be with her and her husband and, and the rest of the family, and it was a glorious time. And it was an exhausting time. I'm only hoping that I've taught a boyfriend and a son-in-law how to install ceiling fans so that I can now retire from that business. But let me tell you, when I retired at the end of this day, oh, by the way, I had to do two light fixtures as well. Um, when I retired from that day is when I was able to sit down. When the creed tells us that, that Jesus sat down at the right hand of the Father, it is to signify that he has completed the work He has brought to completion all that he set out to do when he departed from the Father in the incarnation. The work has been completed. This is, if you will, the coronation of Jesus as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He sits down at at the side of the right hand of God the Father because he has completed the work. Look how Ephesians writes it. Ephesians 1, 20 through 23 That he, God, worked in Christ, in other words, the Father worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all things. Jesus has been coronated as king. The work has completed. But when he gets back to the father's side, he is, he's not coming back as he left, is he? No, because he, is, he has gained something, not only victory over death, but he's gained something in the process. He's, he's gained his humanity now, as the, the theologians tell us, raised into the Godhead. Jesus, now both fully man and fully God, has been reunited to the Father and the Holy Spirit. But now with our humanity along with us, with him, our humanity is now represented in the presence of God. Now, everybody loves movies that reflect uh, on Somebody that it's one of our own making it good. That's why the movie Rocky, remember the movie Rocky? Rocky Balboa, uh, Sylvester Stallone made that movie years and years ago. And why, why was that movie so appealing? Well, because Rocky was the Italian stallion, right? He, he represented the working class people of Philadelphia. And one of their own was able to fight the world champion of the world, Apollo Creed. 
And uh, of course, he loses that first time, but, but he's one of us, and he's made it. And then, of course, he wins the second time, and, and it's this sense in which we can identify with a hero. We want our politicians, we want our heroes to somehow identify us, to represent us, in a sense, in the world. Jesus Christ, our ascended Lord, has carried with him our humanity, and now it is in the presence of God. That's why it's so important, that line that said in Acts 1, that this same Jesus in some translations, or in our translation, ESV, that this Jesus will come again just as he left. Glorified body and all is what the angelic witness is bearing to us. He comes with us, but he's not far from us. He goes to prepare a place for us. Remember, we talked about that back in John chapter 14, the way, the truth, and the life. He goes to prepare a place that where he is, we may be also. And he's made a place for humanity to be in eternity with God, the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But it's not just a future hope that the ascension brings. It's the present reality for us. As I said, Jesus' ascension does not mean he's far away from us. I think maybe that's part of the problem that's tripped us up over the ages when we think about the ascension. Jesus says in Matthew's gospel at the end, the Great Commission, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the earth. That lo doesn't mean that if you get above like 10,000 feet, he's not up there. It means, it's a way of saying, but remember, I am with you always Sorry, cheap joke there, but he's with you always. He's close with us. His presence is there for us. Paul, on the road to Damascus, that same Paul that held the cloaks of the men stoning Stephen, that same Paul encounters not only the risen Jesus, but the ascended Jesus. Paul didn't encounter uh, the, the resurrected Jesus 50 days after his resurrection. It was much longer than that, a couple of years at least. It's the ascended Jesus that comes to Jesus, that comes to Paul, and, and, and so he is with us, present to us, working in us, empowering us to be his people in the world. As Jesus continues that high priestly prayer, he, he prays for his disciples, and he has confidence in them that because of his ascension, but because of all that he has accomplished for them, that they can do all that, that they're required to do. Years ago, and I've said this story before, but I'll say it one more time. But my grandfather, I was 13 years old, and it was uh, spring, and I was on spring break, and my grandfather needed uh, to help, help with the plow, prepare the soil for the planting. Um, I know you think 13 is young to be running a tractor, but it's only because my 14-year-old cousin had broken his leg. Otherwise, the 14-year-old would have been running the tractor. But I, I had a hard time with it because if you've ever tried to drive a, a standard transmission with a, with a, with a clutch, um, a tractor is much more complex than a, than a standard transmission. And so I stopped and stalled multiple times. And I'll never forget my grandfather coming to me and, and saying to me something that's changed my life. He said, he said, Al, he called me Al all my life. He said, Al, he said, if you can't do this, it's okay. But I need you to if you can, and I know you can. And I got back up on that tractor when I really wanted to walk away. 
and I got it cranked, and off we went to the field to plow. And the part of the story that I usually don't tell, not only did my grandfather have confidence in me, but he didn't send me out into that field all by myself. He was right there on the other tractor, either in front of me or behind me throughout the entire day. Jesus has confidence in us, but he is not leaving us. And he's going to send us his spirit as well to empower us, but that's for next week. But before I end, let me just read this prayer of confidence that Jesus gives to the disciples. Starting in verse 13, Jesus says, But now I'm coming to you, Father, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have joy fulfilled in themselves. Jesus wants us to have the joy of serving him in the world, making him known. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of this world, just as I am not of this world. Sanctify them by your truth, for your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so have I sent them into the world. Friends, this is the confidence that Jesus can pray over us because he has ascended to the Father. And then just to remind you one more time, verse 26. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. Jesus can pray because he, these things because he has ascended because he's interceding for us, because he's accomplished all that he intended to and is now seated at the right hand of the Father, and because he will continually make God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit known to us that we may worship and glorify him in a difficult world, but not alone. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen.